2: Well I'm having to keep my wits about me because this area is definitely not meant for pedestrians. This is all about vehicles getting into and out of uh, Heathrow Terminal 4. Uh, What's he doing there? You might well ask. And I'm sort of hoping that the security operation here at uh, Heathrow Airport isn't asking the same question as we speak. I'm uh, heading along what appears to be a public highway. Heading around the southern perimeter of Heathrow Airport. And I'm following signs for the cargo terminal. But it's a very specific sort of cargo that we're here to see. London, Michaelmas term lately over. London? Okay, you know where you are. A radical transformation.
3: Very radical People transformation. Are morally outraged with what's going well, on. I got very excited this week.
2: Seems reasonable, doesn't it? But as soon as you scratch the surface, you realise gore
3: happened all across London. Every open really square at would have the a place go.
0: called the Kittle Hoosie. You saw your so. Geordie's Grace riding on a goosey. What <laughs> the hell is that? A <laughs> <laughs> man who's tired of London, he's tired of London. So life. what was the first thing that caught your eye? The South has an overstuffed walrus. It's
2: it's a very important history.
0: A handwritten letter from Charles Dickens. There's
2: a piece of information we're missing here somewhere. You sneak through the city, What, amassing yourself in the sight? And for the, song, the Jewish so community, oh, oh.
1: who came over in their tens of thousands from uh, Russia, from we Poland. We are doing
0: a modern take on Morris dancing.
2: When did he think the second coming was going to happen? Yes, uh, Boris... He wants to put an airport. <laughs> the, t- the tone with which Boris is announced it is fatigue. Yes, the city is always changing. Uh, people frequently say to me, "You yeah, know, won't it be wonderful when it's finished?" And I say, "No, it'll be dreadful. No, it'll mean it's dead." Inform and entertain—that's what it's about.
3: London is a modern Babylon. That's very true.
2: Can we have some of the detail here? Well, that was an adventure. I have just made my way from uh, Terminal 4 on foot, which is, uh, by the way, not the best of plans. You really want a vehicle for that trip. I've been wading through mud and uh, going off verges and across roundabouts, and I'm here at the animal reception centre, feeling uh, like Scott of the Antarctic. It's a horrible day outside, but I'm inside. I'm here with Ross Hayes. He's uh, the animal attendance supervisor here. At the it's called the Ark, isn't it? Which is kind of kind of appropriate yeah, for right, the animals.
3: The yeah, we call it the Ark. Um, its full name is uh, the Heathrow Animal Reception Centre, but we'll call it Ark for short. The animal reception center it's got quite a varied role, really. We um, the major part of what we do, I guess, is, is animals coming in under the pet travel scheme. So that will be animals coming in throughout the world. Um, as of January first, the, the regulations changed. So, whereas in the past, if you were coming from certain countries, animals had to do six months quarantine. As of January the first, um, 2012, that completely changed, and you could bring your animal in from any country throughout the world without doing any quarantine, as long as it met certain regulations. So that's probably the major. The domestic cats and dogs are the major part of what we do. Um,
2: so this is like families who've lived overseas Exactly, that's
3: it, people uh, repatriating back to the UK That's that's probably 75% of the work we do um, But we do deal with um, animals coming in under the pet trade um, We deal with huge numbers of fish uh, We deal with uh, assistance dogs and service dogs in the terminal So your guide dogs and hearing dogs We do that actually within the terminal buildings at Heathrow um, We deal with race horses. The only thing I've not seen is probably a giraffe and an elephant. I've I've seen most stuff. I've seen rhinos. I've seen zebra, etc. That's the only stuff I've not seen. So we deal with the animals. Um, our, one of our top priorities is is the welfare of all these animals. That that's top of what we do. But we also do have a, a legal responsibility whereby um, there's there's requirements that we have to enforce. There's the animals obviously have to pass certain rules and regulations laid down by DEFRA to come into the UK. How the, how the boxes, the animals travelling, um, that, that, that's a legislation that we also have to enforce. So it's not just, it's not like a zoo where you're just sort of primarily looking after animal welfare. We do have uh, uh, a legal role that we carry out.
2: Okay, so there's a lot of different directions we can take this. And I'm particularly interested to talk about the the pet trade as well, because that seems like it could be a whole other... I was about to say kettle of fish. Yeah. Very silly thing to say. they
3: come in a kettle, I'd be worried.
2: (laughs) I noticed that there's a whole shed dedicated to fish out
3: there. We're actually called a border inspection post, a BIP. And sort of anything, if if you're entering from outside the European Union, you have to come through a BIP, border inspection post. There there is one's other airports, for example, Gatwick, Manchester, etc. But um, here at Heathrow, we're licensed to take any animal. So we can take lions, tigers, etc., but some of the other airports can only take your domestic animals.
2: Oh right, so uh, so it's just coincidence that you haven't happened to see a giraffe.
3: Yet? Yeah, it's just coincidence. Uh, the practicalities, I guess, of um, uh, of seeing a giraffe are uh, self-explanatory, really.
2: Let's uh, let's talk about the more exotic things that you have had to deal with here.
3: I've seen a koala. A live koala, which was quite an experience. It's
2: supposed to be bad-tempered, right? It
3: was, it was definitely grumpy. <laughs> it, was, it was it was horrifically grumpy. That was that was coming from Australia, going to um, it was going to Israel, I believe. That was just a zoo to zoo transfer. That, we we quite often see zoo to zoo transfers. Uh, things have moved on over the years, whereby animals are not taken from the wild anymore for people to keep as pets, etc. That doesn't happen anymore. So more uh, more of the exotic animals we've seen tend to be zoo to zoo transfers. Again, they're all governed by the same the same legislation as your cats and dogs. So we're looking at they're they're packaged correctly, um, their paperwork's in order, etc.
2: And you mentioned the the whole quarantine thing has changed yeah. recently. So obviously the quarantine thing had a purpose. What what's changed that's uh, just, meant that that's invalid now?
3: What what's happened is it's said there's set regulations whereby, for example, it, we have European countries and listed non-EU countries. And they're animals where the, the, the veterinary standards are higher than other countries, for example. So so when we, European countries, that's obviously self-explanatory, um, unlisted European countries, they're, they're primarily sort of your Americas, your Canadas, um your new zealand your australia so they seem to sort of have have quite safe safe home environments you know so there's low risk there so that so they have a lot easier requirements to come into the uk all you really need for those is um a microchip inserted in the animal so you can verify its identification uh, a current rabies vaccination you wait 21 days and you can come in under the pet travel scheme that's for, for the European enlisted um, non-EUs, for what we call unlisted third countries. So there were the the old school ones where primarily you did six months quarantine. With those guys, you just st- obviously start off with a microchip again first to verify the animal's identification. Then you have to have a current rabies vaccination. You wait 30 days from that rabies vaccination, have a blood sample taken to, to make sure there's a high enough um, resistance to the rabies. And then you wait three months, and then you can come in without doing any quarantine.
2: I can hear from the way you talk that you've delivered that speech quite a few times.
3: Yeah, that's one that we we get quite often. uh, Yeah, and that's because I said that's that's a major part of what we do. 75% of our work is the pet travel scheme the countries where you used to have to do 6 months quarantine we, we we've lessened our regulations for them to come in but we need to be very strict in how we enforce those
2: you're processing all of these but is it possible for an animal to kind of fail these yeah, tests of course, and so so go for back?
3: example we get many different reasons why they fail like i said one is it could be microchipped after after it was rabies vaccinated that's a pet's failure um, so
2: what do you do with the pet
3: then? Uh, that would have to, it would either, it would have to have another rabies vaccination and depending where it came from, it would either have to wait 21 days in quarantine or four months, i.e. have a wait 30 days, blood sample, wait three months. So It's four months for those countries, 21 for others, or they have a chance to export it back to the country of origin. But we do have times when, for example, the vet, hasn't completed the form fully so he he hasn't given us all the information we need so when that situation arises we'll contact the vet in say for example the u.s and say we require further information and then we can release the animal so technically they do fail but we'll always do our best to try and fix that problem and, and release the animal back to the owner
2: now that that sounds uh, quite bureaucratic one way and another, necessarily so, yeah. but I presume, like most people who work with animals, you didn't get into it for the paperwork side of things.
3: Although animal welfare is, all anyone who works with animals, welfare is top of their list of, of what they try to do. I, the other side of what we do here, the, the, the legislative side, is something that I'm quite interested in, so... Oh, well, I was, I was making a bold presumption then there, yeah, wasn't no, I? It, I? It said in, enforcing the different regulations, etc., and, and the administrative stuff that we carry out is, yeah can sometimes make a, a break from the mundane stuff of obviously animals make mess so uh it can be a nice break from that sometimes
2: oh that's nice i came in with a complete misconception of what you were going to be thinking about because i saw you with the animals coming out around you there and i thought that this is definitely a guy who's gone into it for dealing with the animals first no, and foremost
3: so, Yeah, I mean, of course you always choose it to do the animals it's the reason we all, you choose that career path but you, you make a choice when you're like when you're 16, 17, when you do your work experience in a zoo like I did, and you think, "Oh, working with animals, that's quite interesting," I do that. And then, but then there's loads of different tangents you can do. I said you can go and work in a zoo. You can be an animal trainer, you can be, you can be a breeder, you can, you can work in, in legislation type stuff. So there's loads of different paths you can take. I see myself as okay, an enforcement officer, an animal welfare informant officer. If I were to make my own job title up, that's probably what I'd call it. So, so we're always looking for the animal welfare to be our top priority, but then we're always paying close attention to the other stuff that goes with it.
2: So I'm imagining that in most cases, people are bringing their well cared for animals. Yeah. In. what's at the other end of the scale? What are some of the less pleasant sites you've had to deal with?
3: We get animals coming for the pet trade, for example. Um, they're, they're not they're not treated as pets. They're more treated as, more of a commodity. So I said, for example, when we get fish, reptiles, etc., they're travelling not as anyone's pet. They're, they're a commodity. So um, we, we there's there are times we get fatalities in those. Um, but it's just something that we have to deal with, and then again, for example, that's when um, that's when your enforcement head kicks in. For example, and you'll be looking, okay, right? So we've got this problem here. First of all, how can we try and how can we try and make these animals better? How can we how can we help them? But at the same time, you're thinking, right? Why has this happened? Who's at fault? Um, so you'll be who who's to blame. So you'll be taking, for example, um, we'll be taking evidence. We'll take pictures, etc. If we if any any of the regulations we enforce have been broken, so we'll gather evidence and stuff. So you've always got to keep your keep your eye on on welfare and, and your legislation duties as well. The senior management team, if, if they deem if they deem an offence serious enough, then then it can go to prosecutions to whatever organisation airline that is at fault.
2: Now we need to talk about the Corporation of London. I think everybody's in the Corporation of London insignia here. We've got the Corporation of London signs outside the Dragons with the with the shield with the cross of oh, St George. Yeah. Now, w- anybody who's sort of familiar with where the City of London is, which of course the Corporation of square London mile. is very much yeah the square mile, uh, mm-hmm. and that's a long way from here. So, what, why is the City of London Corporation handling the Ark?
3: Historically, they've they've always enforced sort of animal welfare legislation for the whole of the uh, Greater London so we do we have an animal the corporation has an animal health team which is based here that works for a, a number of london boroughs in a, on a contractual basis um carrying out sort of um establishment checks you know so um your boarding kennels catteries etc they they're all governed by legislation so the animal health team enforce those um performing animals so say for example any circuses in, in the London boroughs that they work for they, they'll have to carry out checks on those um, film work um, we've all seen the animals being um, moved across London Bridge once a year um, so they enforce that as well and also then uh, in charge of illegal imports in, in certain London boroughs so for example if you get animals that have somehow made their way to into into the city illegally and and the cases highlighted them so you know by a veterinarian for example might see some discrepancies in the animals passport the animal health team are in charge of that as well do, do you know why it is though that the,
2: the city of london has hung on to those responsibilities it's
3: just i, I can find out but i know just historically we have I, i'm not i'm not exactly sure 100 why but historically we always have because you, you were saying there was a, I keep finding out that the Corporation of London's got they little, little bits
2: of, of yeah, London.
3: Yeah, so I, up in the north where I used to work again for the Corporation of London, they they run Hampstead Heath, Queens Park, um, Epping Forest. Uh, down down in the south, uh, Burnham Beaches. You've got the markets, um, obviously Billingsgate, Billfields, etc. You
2: mentioned the zoo as well.
3: In, in Golders Hill Park, which is a, in Golders Green, part of um, it's. Classed as part of Hampstead Heath, they've got a, a free public zoo which is open to the public. I recommend you you get up there. They've got lemurs etc. up there. It's one of only two free zoos in London, so it's definitely well worth paying a visit to. The, the City of London Corporation are an excellent company to work for.
2: I've got to, I've got to dig into the history some more and find out how they've ended up yeah, with all these strange
3: to, things. When we when we a, when we go out, I try and. Uh, I mean, I've been here ten years, but there's people who've been here a lot longer than me, so I'm sure um, I'm sure they'll know a bit more about it than I do.
2: Well, let's let's start our investigation then, shall yeah. we? Where are we going to go first of all?
3: Okay, so from the outside, people will say, "Oh, it's not a very big building." But when when uh, when members of the public arrive, they only see like our small reception area in the administrative building. Once we head out, it spans off into a massive building. All the facilities we've got here can can house any animal. We're off for a tour of the ARC.
1: Londonist Out Loud is available free as a stream at londonist.com or a weekly download via iTunes. Hit us up on Facebook at Londonist Out Loud. Tweet at Londonist Sound and check out images of our guests via the Londonist Out Loud stream on Instagram.
3: At the moment, we're in the vehicle bay, we call it, um... And this is where we unload all the, vehicles, uh, all the animals that are, that are entering the ark. There's no slipway going into a boat. This is, a, this is how they come in. We don't want any animals to escape, really. So it's, uh, everywhere in the building is double-doored. So a vehicle will come in here, um, the, the vehicle bay doors will shut down, and we won't open any vehicle bay until, until the doors are shut. So if an animal has escaped in transit in the back of a vehicle for whatever reason... When we open up the back of the doors, it can only make it into this confined space. And this double-doored space, that goes throughout for the whole, the whole building is double-doored. Right,
2: and, and this, uh, I've got to say, doesn't look like the most animal-friendly spot of all. Of course, uh, good work is done here, but uh, there's a lot of things that look like giant industrial
3: microwaves. We don't have a, a set working day here, so sort of one minute we can be particularly quiet, and then the next day we could have 400 tortoises. So we need to be ready. I said the, the stuff you said looks like microwaves, actually vivariums. So we've got, we got those to hand. So say, for example, we have, a sh- we have a problem with a shipment of animals. We can put them in there, and we know we can house them quickly. So although they're not being used at the moment, tomorrow they can be put to good juice, housing housing animals. Now, that's astounding. You're saying that you don't have too much warning, necessarily,
2: of what's yeah, going to turn up. Yeah, we don't.
3: We, we, we tend to really only find out from airlines 24 hours, maybe 48 tops, of, of what's coming in over the following days we don't know anything before that at all so uh, we, have to, we have to be sort of on the ball at all times sometimes we can be really busy sometimes we can be quiet that's got to make staffing a
2: nightmare, isn't it? It is.
3: Staffing can be a nightmare at times. We've got a good team here. People, people when you when you come into this role, you sort of understand how it is. If you envisage a job where you start at nine o'clock and you and you're putting your coat on at five to five, this is definitely sort of this is not the job for you. The arcs, the arcs actually open twenty four seven three six five. We never close. There's always animal attendants here. So um, we, we work to 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 a shift rate of basis. Heathrow Airport takes flights takes flights all the time, so, so and, and we have shifts that work around that. But yeah, you sort of, you have to be flexible. You try and help your teammates out if if you got if you're having a busy time. Then then you 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 stick it out and you help you help your colleagues out.
2: Now, in the time it took us f- to get from your office to this chamber, we found out an answer to one of the mysteries about why the uh, Corporation of London's yeah, in charge um, here.
3: So it, uh, the rabies order came to effect in in 1974, and it had to be enforced, obviously, at Heathrow Airport. Now there's three, there's three local authorities that border on to, to Heathrow Airport and um, none of them really felt it was their responsibility to, to take, control of, take control of enforcing the, the rabies order. Um, the Corporation London enforces um, all animal welfare legislations at all um, London ports. And um, the City of London Corporation felt that that London Heathrow is a port, so just an airport, a, yeah. an air exactly an airport. So they so they felt that they had a legal responsibility to take control of of legislation at the airport, which is why the the corporation won it today.
2: Well, that suddenly makes an awful lot of sense. Doesn't it it? No, perfectly no, yeah, logical.
3: Perfectly logical, exactly. Uh, shall we move through yeah. to the next area? So, um, so the building is divided into two separate sides. We have the, the quarantine side of the building, and we have the export side of the building. Uh, the export side of the building, sort of, it's, it's a bit self explanatory, is animals primarily that are going out of the country. Okay, so they're not seen as at risk at all to, to, to people or, or, or the country as a whole uh, you can have animals that were supposed to be going out on a flight and it's it, it went technical for whatever reason so they, they have to be offloaded that flight they'll come back here and then and then we'll deliver them back out to, to, to the new flight when it's when it's decided you know that's never
2: occurred to me because you hear people getting separated from their
3: luggage yeah, all the so, time but so it's yes to say um you know when you see about a whole plane full of people being bussed off to a hotel because they're the engine doesn't work on their plane, th- what would happen is uh, the passengers go to the hotel, the animals will come back here.
2: So we're going after the export side of things first? Yes, yeah,
3: so we're going to the export. We, we d- Cross-contamination is obviously something we want to keep to a minimum, so technically it's, be- uh, it's more logical to go from what we call safe side of the building export to, to, to a dirty side of the export, quarantine, quarantine. Um, so we'll go in. Um, We're we'll going export first. She's just in front of us. We'll just wait two seconds. Again, we've got the double door so no animals can escape. We've got, we've got the vet inside um, sealing up some animals going to um, New Zealand. They've got really strict um, um, import regulations, and one of them is they have to be um, sealed with a numbered seal in their crate before they can leave the building. So we can see they've got the cage opening there. So we'll we'll just give them a couple of minutes, there so they can get the little dog back inside, so he doesn't run off on us.
2: I like the uh, the squeaky toy on the top there to keep yeah. Uh, I mean they're rich, re- pacified.
3: well they're really strict uh, in New Zealand. You can't have any toys in the box, so uh, no food, no toys. Um, so that all comes out. Obviously they'll they'll be um, they'll be uh, watered well. So um, food food's not not so much of an issue. Same as us, but as long as they got water, they'll be fine.
2: And it's just because New Zealand's all about livestock agriculture?
3: Exactly, exactly. I mean. It's understandable they've got such strict regulations, which is why the vet has to fill out the relevant import permits and stuff and see them in their crates. So I think they're done, so let's see if we can come in. Are we all right, Amy? To come up. Yeah. Are we all right, yeah? It's freezing in anyway.
2: here. Just, just to prove we really are here.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is a quiet day. Sometimes it, it can get a lot louder than this. I... I, I guarantee
2: it uh, well this looks a bit more mood music in here there's uh, yeah. some, some tanks uh, I can see uh, snakes fantastic I'll tell you um, well that's a bit creepy ok we've. I'm, I'm just going to give you an audio picture here listener um, if you're scared of crickets this is not the room for locusts, you locusts oh locusts, locusts
3: yeah. well, no, have you got locusts have in we've there got, we've got obviously foodstuffs We're, oh it's pet food yeah it is pet food so all the stuff for example we've got, we've got a Yemeni chameleon just above uh, unfortunately he doesn't eat baked beans um He's a locust type of guy. Ah, right. Okay,
2: so you're not importing the food stuff. These are the foodstuffs for your man up here. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay, and he's looking. Uh, he's, he's doing the revolving eye thing, checking yeah. us out.
3: <laughs> he's making. He's making. I don't think he looks too impressed by us. He's, <laughs> he's Keeping one eye on us, and I'm not sure where the other eyes looking. So, so in these vids, we've got um, we've got animals um, that are from uh, various different locations. We. we we work um, closely with the UK Border Agency as well um, at, at the airport, so there's a good chance that that some of this stuff may have been um, seized or detained by them. So we're housing it on their behalf. Um, we do sometimes get passengers bringing bringing animals illegally uh, in their in their baggage. In the majority of times, they're not animal smugglers. They're, they're just they they're um. Bit, misguided. Yeah, they're just ignorant about the, the uh, requirements of bringing animals into the UK. So, so like say they're not smuggling it. They just didn't know the consequences or or what they need to do to bring the animals. So quite often we'll get called out to the terminal for uh, someone with, I don't know, a tortoise in their bag or someone with a dog in a bag. That's, it happens more regularly than when you tell people, yeah, I had someone that brought a dog in their bag and they got stopped when they were coming coming through the airport a lot of people are like wow but it happens it happens quite often
2: I heard about a bloke with a load of I think it was a load of parrots in his trousers or something ridiculous like yeah, that not I too mean, long I've, ago it? I've,
3: I've personally never witnessed that myself but I've seen numerous dogs in bags and and and, and terrapins in little pots in people's bags etc well,
2: we've, we've got quite a few are these tortoises these are tortoises
3: in here yep yeah, yep yeah.
2: And uh, one, uh, down here it says I am on a diet, only very small amounts, please. Yeah. Okay, and yeah, then there's a means, snake.
3: Yeah, it's probably it's probably a bit overweight, which is uh, wise. I mean, all this stuff get gets looked after, monitored daily, etc. So oh, look at this guy. What's that? Th- that's a Euromastic. I've never even heard of one. Of yeah, those. Right, that's a uromastyx. They've got that quite intimidating looking tail. Uh, actually, it's not intimidating at all. It's more for show.
2: Yeah. Okay. So th- that looks a bit like like a, an armadillo's armored tail, but the r- the front part of him's is uh, sort of a. A dragony lizardy uh, thing, about as big as a uh, a big glove.
3: Come out for me. It's been a bit. has been a bit quick today. not <laughs> to come out. But yeah, that's so that tail. That's more for show, really. He's trying to say, don't eat me. I've got really bad spiky tail. But the spiky tail doesn't actually do anything at all. A, a lot of animals don't spend a lot of time here. Okay, so if you're well, if you're bringing your animal in under the pet travel scheme chances are it'll be four hours tops, Beginning in from Australia. We'll pick it up from, because we do go, we're not based just here, so we do physically go to the airport. So we physically drive up to the aircraft and we collect the animals from the planes. We'll bring them back here um, and then we'll release them into a kennel. Uh, we'll scan their microchip to, to verify the number of the microchip, tally that all up with the, the pet travel scheme paperwork. And if it's passed, they go back to the owner usually for now hour, four hours.
2: Okay, so we're in amongst exotic animals, and we were talking about chameleons, off Mike, and you, you're saying that sometimes they're particularly uh, vulnerable.
3: Yeah, I mean, there, there's certain there's certain species of animals that um, that travel well, sort of like a lot of cats and dogs. They travel quite well, and on, on the other end of the spectrum, there's some animals that don't travel quite so well. You know, they're 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 not quite as hardy as other animals, and, and chameleons are they don't always travel quite don't travel well.
2: Particularly, the hold of a plane is a pretty unfriendly place. Yeah, though.
3: exactly. I mean, like I said, there is regulations which govern how they, which they're packaged, and and if if those guidelines are followed, then then any fatality should be kept to a minimum. But um, sometimes the animals that arrive, here, they don't always arrive in the best condition. Um, that's probably one of the more less. Enjoyable parts of our job. We do sometimes have to deal with fatalities. We, be it chameleons, we unfortunately it can happen in the domestic animals, the cats and dogs. You do get elderly animals. Certain species of certain species of cat and dog don't travel quite so well. So we do deal with fatalities and and there are, uh, some wild caught animals don't always arrive in the best condition so uh, when when situations like that do arise obviously again, animal welfare will be our top priority and I keep saying that but that will be our first point of call so we'll do our best for the animals when they get here and then our sort of legal heads will, will come on and then we'll, we'll we'll gather what evidence we need and we'll pass that on to the senior managers so we'll be looking to check that the animals have got Ade- adequate ventilation in their boxes. We'll make sure they haven't been overpacked in the boxes they're in. We'll make sure they've been packed correctly. Um, so once once we've made sure animal welfare has been is done, then we can look at the, the, the other the other role that we carry out, sort of our legal role.
2: If uh, somebody listening to this is thinking about taking their animal overseas, uh, what what would you advise they have a look at first? Is, is there sort of a website that gives advice I mean, on this kind of stuff?
3: If you're coming back to the UK. Um, you'll be coming there's a good chance you'll be coming through the ark at Heathrow so um, uh, one of the best places we suggest is, is you can check the DEFRA website um, they're the guys that, that, that um, govern all, all, our, all our legislation for, for animals coming into the UK so DEFRA.gov.uk, and that gives you information on importing not only your cats and dogs but all the other stuff if you wanted to bring in reptiles etc fish all that can be found on the DEFA website. we here at the Ark. We just enforce the relevant DEFA legislation. We are the authority that enforce that legislation.
2: Let's move uh, yeah. out of the quite nice, pleasantly warm area. It's yeah. not a warm day, so I'm quite happy being so in
3: obviously there. Obviously, the, uh, certain animals require certain temperatures. So um, uh, I
2: think I might be one of those.
3: Yeah. So we're, obviously, when we're in our viv rooms, where we house, so we've got loads of different types of room. Um, for, for loads of different types we've got our, our vivarium rooms where we can keep reptiles etc we've got specialist aquatic tanks uh, that you saw next door where we can keep like terrapins frogs in um, we've, got, we've got crush cages that you'll see in a moment next door for for the larger animals uh, you know if we have to release a, a, a big cat for example we've got all the facilities to to release a big cat not saying we do every day but it has happened in the past
2: Dif- you, you've all seen it before haven't
3: you exactly people like <laughs> when we get people coming in and they're and we get visitors and they're like wow there, there's a there's a so and so yeah okay it is sort of you don't become immune but once you've seen it wow so you've got a tiger coming in tomorrow I'm just like yeah Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get it's still when you it's awesome when you see one, but it's like i it, have seen a tiger. I've seen lots of tigers. They're a big stripy cat. It's part it's our job, it's what we do and we all love it, but then yeah, it's just a big stripey cat.
1: Londonist Out Loud is sponsored by Audible. To claim your free audiobook from a range of sixteen thousand titles, try the Audible service and thirty-day free trial. Audiobooks can be saved as MP3s and played on your compatible phone, tablet or desktop or burned to a CD and they're yours to keep. For your free audiobook go to www.audible.co.uk forward slash Londonist and click it through. God, goodness,
3: the worst for, what do you reckon to the effing and blinding TC? The film crew have a nightmare. <laughs> she's, not, she's quite far behind to be honest with you. She swears as much as me.
2: Because yes, you've, you, we should say something about this uh, animal airport thing that's been going on. Because you've had a series filmed uh, down here, haven't you already? And there's another one underway.
3: Yeah, there's a. There's, uh, they filmed a series. They followed us over a period of about five months called Animal Airport. Can we say what channel it's on? Yeah, why not? Discovery Channel. Um, I know they're still showing it at the moment. Somehow it proved to be a hit. Not sure why.
2: Well, uh, possibly something to do with the vast array of wonderful animals and it's, the uh, the charismatic stuff. I'm sure. And,
3: and that's what happens when you work here. You you almost get a bit blasé in what you see. I, I've I've watched Animal Airport, and God, it made me cringe. But um, and then what I said, what what one viewer finds absolutely intriguing. To me, it's just my work. I come into work, and that's what I see. So where some people go, wow. To me, it's just like. That's what I do. Because we're a unique place. Sort of, not, there's lots of zoos in the UK, there's lots of animal rescue sanctuaries, but there's sort of only one animal reception centre.
2: The thing that distinguishes this place, although superficially it could look like a rescue centre or uh, the, the vaccines scenes gubbins of a zoo or something like that, the, the turnaround's different.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's very important to remember that we are not here to hold animals for long periods of time. That it's not what the building was ever de- designed for. It's not what we're here for. We have a huge turnaround in animals. We can have, on any given day, we can have we can have a hundred animals coming and going through in one day. So, and we need to be able to facilitate that number of animals coming through. So, all the facilities that we've got here at the Ark um, are very varied in what they do. And, and it's important, each time an animal comes and goes, that that kennel, that enclosure, that, that, that area needs to be fully disinfected for the next animal to come in. So we can't have nice lawns, we can't have trees, we do, we have the highest level, highest standards of care. But we also have to take into account the position of what our aim is and what our goals are.
2: So it's just got more in common in terms of turnaround with like an A&E or something like that?
3: Yeah, I suppose not so much an A&E because we don't have have that many ill animals or or people in trouble. It's just an animal, it is what the programme's called, it's an animal airport. There's people, there's dogs coming back off their holidays in Australia and they're coming here. There's animals there's coming from America, stopping here for a few hours. Then they're travelling on to Africa. It is just exactly what it is. an animal airport.
2: We're in uh, an area at the back of and the this place. This is the
3: arrivals. Yeah, right.
2: The arrivals lounge. <laughs> we're, we're, we've got a lot of like chalet-type doors going on here. Where, yes. where are we now? So the,
3: this is what we call our... This is the uh, new kennel. So this is where we house all our cats. So if you had a cat coming in under the pet travel scheme, uh, on arrival, it would get released into one of these kennels. Seems very quiet down there. Uh we have different it's the ark it's just very hard to predict it said you can come down here one day and you could have all manner of noises coming out and today's quite quiet
2: and this is a dog who's just about to go on quite a voyage we saw him earlier we came past him I think
3: this is not any old dog this is Poppy right <laughs> I mean, it's, again we sort of we don't really deal with names sort of. it's quite often we'll get, we'll get people coming to the door saying I'm here to collect Tommy and we're like what, what is it? what's Tommy? Is Tommy a cat? Is Tommy a dog? We deal with hundreds of animals, hundreds of thousands of animals every year. So names is not a way... We have sort of our own unique booking We deal with, like, animals have a number here, and that's really important for us because we have so many. We must keep a record of every animal here, where it's come from, where it's going to. So, 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 so pet names are not something that we can really deal with.
2: Uh, so this uh, this particular pooch is going on a what a fourteen to twenty
3: hour flight something like that he's probably twenty five hours plus twenty five hours in this box See, so he's off to um he's off to um sunny Auckland obviously we work in an airport environment. Uh, and in this day and age, security is—it's um, it, a high priority in a, in the airport environment, and, and that's another—that's another part of our job that we carry out.
2: Now, can we can we talk in a very? It might need to be in a very generalised way. I realise, but have you experienced sort of security risks or attempted security breaches well, using animals?
3: We—I cho- personally haven't. And, and our job is to ensure that we don't get any of those. For example, this dog here, we have a legal responsibility to say that this dog is safe to travel on a passenger. Passenger aircraft, so he will get, he will get, he will get X-rayed. He'll get security X-rayed, like what happens to our hand luggage and our luggage when when we go on holiday. We're we're all trained to, to look for any abnormalities when the dog gets X-rayed. And once, once he's we're, we're what's known as a, a customs bonded facility, so we're secure. You you, sh- you had to sign in, you had to show ID when signing in, so we're seeing this is a safe environment. So we'll X-ray him, and he'll travel out to the aircraft in a sealed vehicle. To, to show that at no point there's any way this guy could have been tampered with. So security is just another part of what we do here at the Ark.
2: And, and that comes down to you, ultimately. So if it turns out that this dog is a member of a, a terrorist organisation, that's, that's down to you guys.
3: Yeah, I mean, it'd probably be hard to, uh, to tell if he was a member of a terrorist organisation, but if his owner had, had decided to put something in the box that wasn't supposed to be there, we would have found it.
2: Well, let's move on. Yep.
3: We're done in the uh, export side of the building. So what we're doing now, we'll make our way over to the quarantine side. Fuck
2: okay. We're about to wash our microphone.
3: Uh, pers- personal hygiene is really important what we do here. Animals can carry disease. Um, sometimes we, we know very little about the, the clinical history of an animal. So uh, we 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 have untold amount of PPE here, secure gloves, masks goggles etc we sometimes we're dealing with dangerous animals as well that we really don't anything about so we've got i can show you some of the equipment we've got next door to deal with some of them are, are more unfriendly visitors do you, do you ever get animals in and you don't know what they are we've got a lot of staff with knowledge of, of a lot of different taxa so if if you, if i don't know then you'll ask Some if you're not sure about the species of a snake you're gonna i'll go and ask one of my colleagues who's got far more knowledge in snakes than i do and they'll give me the answer but if we do have libraries with, with, with loads of different texts we can use to sort of pin down. So with some animals, there's loads of different species and subspecies in that. So you can really have to go down to the real fine details sometimes to find out what an animal is.
2: We're coming back, yeah. through, back through the uh, the vehicle bay here into the quarantine area. No admission. So this is uh, a special moment for us. <laughs> and uh, we've got the, the rubber boots here.
3: So, uh, yeah, so we're entering the, uh, the quarantine side of the building now. So this is animals that so don't really meet the requirements of the pet travel scheme. So they could be going into quarantine, um, and also animals which are just transiting through Heathrow. So we do get some. We get some that are going, some that are coming in, and some that are just transiting. So for whatever reason, they're coming from one country on one flight. They'll come here for for whatever period of time, usually no more than forty-eight hours, and then they'll be going out to a, to another flight from there. So because we we're, we're dealing with animals for from countries uh, that we we see we deem more of a risk and, and we don't know a lot about we've got we we wear uh, PPE on this side of the building that we don't on the other so and,
2: and PPE in this case means uh,
3: a, a nice green gown and some wellies
2: lovely <laughs> in the, the height of fashion we're heading through an iodine bath. And this feels very foot and mouth. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're coming back into an area where there's a, some sort of an X-ray scanner by the looks of it.
3: Yeah, as I, as I talked about next door, security is a big part of what we do in our airport environment. So, so we use we use this um, we use this X-ray machine just to to, to ensure that an, uh, any cargo's safe to, to make its way to the aircraft. So we're all trained on that. We, we we can put animals through that. and We can use features on the machine to, um, to just to check. Someone else is. Someone's here to pick up their fish. What fish going today? We do, yeah, we do. We do. Like I said, in, in in number of animals, fish is our biggest. Obviously, you have got a bag of of twenty five little goldfish, etc. So, if, if anyone asks, what animal do we technically have the most of? It's fish. We've had quite a um, quite a busy morning today. Um, so mornings tend to be the busiest time for us here. A lot of the flights coming in overnight, sort of your Australia's, your New Zealand's, etc. So in the mornings we we can be really from from six o'clock onwards when when the early flights come in, we are really really busy. Um, so yeah, the guys are just 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 cleaning up now after after a busy day. Yes, this is your,
2: your typical zookeeper look here: the uh, the green overcoat, the broom, uh, yeah. splashing bleach up the walls.
3: This this is, this is probably the, the, the not glamorous part of what we do. So we all know what animals make and, and someone has to clear it up so
2: um, your, your colleague here could look happier i've got say.
3: yeah to... this is will,
1: will
2: loves it hello, hello. Um,
3: this is what we call the isolation room and what what we put in there is say for example if we get an animal coming in that's showing clinical signs that we're not too happy with so we could have a dog that was coughing or you know any animal, you know that's had sort of had discharge from its eyes, or just anything that, that, that's out of the ordinary, and we don't want to keep it in close proximity to the other animals, we can put it in the isolation room. Which is well away from other animals. It's got its own individual air supply, etc. So we can keep keep the oh isol- right. That really is isolated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we can keep that separate from, from from all the stuff in there.
2: And and to give you a bit of a, a descriptor, this is a, a little bit like the sort of prison cell you wouldn't want to be stuck in in the deep south in the uh, in the sixties or something yeah. like that. Proper metal bars going across there on a on a sliding door, blanket, metal bunk that hangs down next to barred windows.
3: But, but for us, again, it's worth. For us, that's that's perfect. We can, the room is quite sparse, so we can, we can make sure we disinfect it uh, to make sure it's clean for animals going in there. But also we can adapt it for any animal. So although, although there's no furniture in there at the moment, if, for example, if we had a small primate in there, we could introduce bars, we could introduce ropes, etc. If there's parrots, we could introduce perches. So though every room you see in the building looks quite sparse we can quickly adapt it to make it what we need it which is we wouldn't want that permanently made for say a parrot and then we can't get it out when we need to put a different animal in there that, that, that wouldn't work for us at the ark so 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 rooms like that are actually perfect for what we need them for
2: uh, ross is just opening a set of doors with the sign large cats next to it so this,
3: this is sort of another one of our um one of our multi-purpose rooms um it's got two. It's got two large crush cages um, uh, located within it. Um, what, what is a crush cage? It's sort of it, it's a cage that we can uh, technically make smaller.
2: Oh, I so, see. It's kind so, of on rollers, there, it's on
3: isn't rollers, it? Rollers. So, so it starts off. It starts off as large as we want it to be, and if we need to contain an animal for any reason, so say for example we had a large cat in there, and we needed to um, check, for example, to scan to check for a microchip. Or we needed to administer any kind of medication, we could do that. So we could do it as safely as possible for the cat with the minimal stress. But also, we want to make sure that the staff at the Ark stay safe. So we can we can do that all all within the crush cage, minimal stress, uh, and as safe as possible for us. The, these particular cages in here, I, I've seen them house many different animals. I've seen kinkajous. I've seen them hold. Uh, you what now? A kinkajou. What is a kinkajou? It's also known as like a a tamandu or a lesser anteater, like a small anteater. best way to describe it, a small anteater. Parrots have been in here. Uh, Small primates have been in here. Um, Nearly every, I've seen nearly every species of big cat in these cages as well. What
2: what sort of mood do they tend to end up uh, with you in? I understand
3: that any animal that's just been travelling on an aircraft will be stressed. That can, be, that can be a big cat, or it can be your domestic cat from your auntie Betty. Are
2: they, are they not generally uh, sort of drugged for travel no, or
3: No, uh, that's one thing we don't recommend in any situation whatsoever for domestic animals. Uh, it's probably one of the highest causes of fatality. Um, people sedating their animals they think that they're doing the right thing Oh, if I give them a sedative they'll be a lot calmer obviously that, it can have the opposite effect uh, and it's one of the highest reasons we get fatalities in our domestic animals so if anyone was, was going to be flying flying their animal we, we, we recommend that you don't we don't uh, sedate them at all if, if, if you feel that they need sedating then they should, probably shouldn't really be flying in the first place and does the same go for moving a lion around so, that's, it's not in all cases I mean some animals for example rhinos for example that in them cases it is best to, to, to offer like a mild form of sedative with some of the bigger animals one of, one of the best ways for them to travel is to not give them too much room People seem to think, when you're flying an animal, give it as much room as possible, but in certain species, it's probably best give them as little room as possible so there's sort of less room for them to move around and hurt themselves. So in the cases like rhinos and, and racehorses and stuff, you give them minimal room so they can't hurt themselves. We need to take a
2: break because a biped has just arrived.
3: <laughs> yeah, if you just bear with us. Sorry, so do you mind? Yeah, I'm just going to go is going to get a dog from Bedcon. i've just got a box. What, go one? Go one what, straight? So that was what I talked about earlier. One of the animal health team... Um, has had a re- uh, report from one of the local authorities uh, close to the airport about a possible illegal import, so um they 'll be going out to um, to uh, investigate that and possibly bring the animal back to the ark if it is found if it 's paperwork's not in, not in order and it is found to be an illegal import um,
2: i don 't know if this is a, this is probably a really juvenile question have you got a favorite sort of animal that you love to see turn up here no <laughs> well that 's that job done?
3: it's it 's a, a bit bland. people say to because we see sort of loads we see. Literally every type of different animal, and then... Uh, I haven't really got a favourite, no, not at all, really.
2: You don't ever you think, I hope an anteater turns up at some point, too, and the fancy sitting in the
3: No, not really. Just, <laughs> oh, we, we're in this job because we sort of, we like... We like working with animals. I never say love working with animals, because I always feel that gives sort of the indication that... Um, a lot of noise coming from outside if you say you love animals people have this thing whereby you spend a lot of time cuddling animals and and here it's even more so at the ark we have minimal contact and that's best for everyone involved we sort of here if you haven't got to touch it why there's no need for us to be going in and cuddling stuff for example is a good chance it could stress the animal it could put ourselves at risk so unlike some other animal jobs in ours if you don't have to touch it don't
2: We are in the bird wing, yes. You were telling me there was a ban in, uh, when was it, 97?
3: Yeah, I think, I'm sure it was around 97, there was there was an EU ban, a ban on wild caught birds into the EU. Certain countries have, have like export co- quotas of animals that you can take. Uh-huh. Um, most countries have those, and, um, and so we used to get like a lot of uh, macaws and stuff like that coming through from South America, and, and finch and other species from, from Africa. Um, But obviously since the wild-caught bird ban came into effect, we don't get nearly as many birds as we used to. These rooms have been adapted, um, whereas before this large uh, bird room might have contained, say, 20 flamingos that were transiting through. Um, When the the pet travel scheme rules changed for domestic cats and dogs, we needed more space for the cats and dogs. So like all the rooms, again, I know I keep saying it, they're really multi-purpose. So we've managed that we've converted these rooms... Um, in, into, into dog kennels so we can house dogs in there and we can move them back to birds if need be
2: and once again we can see the uh, Corporation of London logo on there just so that the cats and dogs know who, at whose uh, no, pleasure they were staying
3: that actually does serve a real purpose um, it does happen to be the Corporate City of, City of London badge but that serves a purpose whereby if there was a bird in there it needs to know this glass <laughs> of course it does right so otherwise there's a risk that um, it could fly into it. We just decided that the City of London Corporation crest was that uh, was more was more fitting.
2: Right now, this looks like a very specialist setup. And okay, I'm going to have a go. I, is it a Komodo dragon? It's what a monitor
3: it? lizard. A um, oh, monitor. Okay. We don't have many. Anim- we have very few animals that spend spend large periods of time here. But we do have what we call some resident animals. Um, uh, staff, new starting staff. They we, we need to we need to train people on the sort of different different animal husbandry techniques and housing techniques, etc. So this room has been made into a permanent setup for these guys, so so staff can so get an idea on how our animals can be housed more permanently.
2: This guy's uh, pretty big. He's uh, ahead, a sort of medium dog size. And he's so. swiping his tail around there because he doesn't fancy being touched by the looks of it. You
3: can see he's under. Um, yeah, exactly. He doesn't really touch, and, he, and he's sitting under that heat lamp to keep himself nice and warm. He yeah, has got a friend. He's got a friend.
2: It's a lovely foot tongue flashing out.
3: I'm not sure. Yeah, there is a friend in here somewhere. I'm not quite sure where. Um, Must
2: be in that big green box yeah, at I'm the
3: end. In that green, big green box at the end. But these, are one, like I said, one of our one of our resident animals that we keep.
2: Has he got a name? Do we go that far?
3: Again, we're not. We're not sort of into names. Even with the resident animals? Even with the resident animals, it's been a bad habit to get into. The
2: debate we started when we were down at the Battersea Cats and Dogs home. What do you think of the whole? Uh, are animals dangerous or is it the owners that make them dangerous? Uh, where do you uh, stand animals on that?
3: can definitely be dangerous. I guess we're in, in this role, we see lots of different animals, so I'm not denying that, yeah, if, uh, owners probably could turn another wise. Animal of a good temperament in the wrong direction, but uh, on the flip side, there there is every case for for an animal being dangerous. Now, probably I wouldn't I wouldn't have that any other way. So that that is definitely the case. Animals can be dangerous.
2: And uh, what about the idea? Because some people point at particular breeds, particularly of dogs, you know, and we're talking about the right shields and that of uh, particular breeds of dogs being I've temperamentally got, different, more aggressive.
3: Yeah, of course, that goes without saying that, that different dogs can can act differently. But in, you have to understand in our environment here we can get bitten by the smallest dog going. It's scared, it's not in a usual environment, it's been put in a box, flown halfway around the world. To be honest, it's quite funny, in some of the situations we have, the smaller dogs are the more scary and the more dangerous than the big dogs. You have a small chihuahua, sometimes you tend to be more wary of those than you do some of their big, big counterparts.
2: We're at the uh, the large the, animals area now.
3: Yeah, it's called the large animal bit, large animal border inspection post. So in here...
2: It, well, well, I can see one not large animal in
3: yeah, there. Yeah, borders onto the dog kennels out the back. But primarily in this area, we've, we've got a stable block and we've got a roller scissor lift. So we use that when we're um, unloading, for example, pallets of horses or pallets of alpacas, packets of shi- uh, packets, pallets of sheep, pallets of goats. Uh, normally they travel in on freighter aircraft, so sort of a jumbos without any seats. They'll come in, they'll come on down onto our raised scissor lift area, and then we'll we'll, we'll unload them. We'll uh, unload them into the stable area, and then they'll put put them in the stables. And they're usually only here three or four hours, and they'll go from there.
2: Well, not much to see here by the looks of it today. No, not today. I did a
3: couple of weeks ago, no, not a couple of weeks. I did meet black caviar. Uh, the horse it had won. It came over. Oh, really? Yeah, it came over for the Grand National. Or no, possibly the Epsom Derby. I'm not hundred percent sure which one. And it had won like its last twenty races or something like that. And it was um, it was it was quite a media scrum when he arrived. We had we had media from Australia all around the world watching him being unloaded, which is uh, which was quite good.
2: I've just discovered, we're back in the office now. I've just discovered a uh, crocodile skull behind me. In amongst the planes and rhinos and what looks like a stuffed frog there. Uh, truly a unique place, and it really is a unique yeah, place.
3: A seal, we've got a seal just behind you there, an armadillo.
2: A stuffed seal. Well, my day can't get better. But your day is in the book, the the folder in front of us here in the next couple of days. Uh, this is your pre-advice, this is what the airlines are telling you is on the way. Anything uh, interesting looking coming on?
3: So we can say, so, so well, look. So the date tomorrow will be the the 24th, so... Tomorrow we can see on the twenty fourth we've, we've got some seahorses coming in tomorrow from Japan. Um we've got some pet animals coming in from Cyprus. we anything out of the ordinary coming in. Some more pet animals from Cyprus. Um, an emotional support animal so that'll be travelling in the cabin with the passenger so we we have a set process for those so we'll go out to the aircraft and meet that passenger
2: The UK listener might be wondering what an emotional support animal is
3: An, an emotional support animal is just a dog uh, in the UK we only accept dogs but it's we we in the UK we recognise assistance dogs. The average person on the street will recognise a hearing dog, a guide dog. So they've had certain levels of training, or months of training, in fact, so they can um, help their owner carry out through their daily life. But uh, there there has been laws passed recently, sort of, whereby emotional support animals, where they don't have that higher level of training, but they're deemed, but they're deemed that they do need to uh, travel with their owner. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> There's a wry, a wry smile about which we shall say no more.
3: We, we do. We've got a, um, we've got a passenger travelling tomorrow down from Edinburgh, um, whose, whose dog was travel was a uh, trained by the Royal Society of God Dogs of the Blind. He's this. This is the only way we can really sort of predict staffing levels is is by the pre advice we're given. So, um, as with anything, working in this airport environment, that that can change at a drop of a hat. We can literally be called we've got we can have some fish that have missed their flight for example we can have 50 boxes of fish that will need re-oxygenating because they've they've gone beyond their traveling time so literally we could we could all be sitting here having a nice quiet cup of tea we could take a phone call and and the whole situation could change we, we uh, our workload can can double in a phone call usually is how it first starts you, if someone says what is your average day it's probably the worst question you could ask any member of staff at the ark because you don't have an average day
2: Well, Ross Hayes, thank you for sharing today with us and uh, giving us a glimpse into some of your other days.
3: No worries.
0: Well,
2: there we go. That's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Ross Hayes. Thanks also to Rob Quest, Becca Evans, Andrew Buckingham and Bernie Barclay. Theme and incidental music was by Jack Hurd and Rory Anderson. I'm in Quentin Wolfe.
0: You can smuggle my shouts, and startle the cries through these bones of light, kissed till singing in the sunlight.